0: When well, I'm not running to the chopper, I'm listening to Sean Geek Podcast on seanmckennedy.ca. Do it now!
1: Hey gang, uh, doing a uh, sort of a pre-roll thing here, which I, I don't re- usually do, but I really wanted to make sure I introduced this episode because we um, we went right into it. <clears throat> we didn't really introduce the show properly. We didn't really introduce the guests properly. We just started chatting. We... We appeared in, um, we appeared in his recording space, which is his library. And then I, as soon as I saw what was in his background, I just started nerding out over what he had, uh, which you'll see in the, or here in the beginning part of the episode. And I just, I just, we just started talking. It was like we've been friends for 25 years, which you'll find out through this episode that. We may not have been friends for 25 years, but we've always been aware of each other and we've always kind of been in the same circles and there's a lot of overlap which uh, we actually take the first part of the episode to discuss how do we actually know each other or how are we aware of each other and why are we doing this conversation today? Like what was the point of it? So um, Gregory is an incredibly talented artist, uh, writer, um, production designer um he's just a good dude uh overall uh he's a man who loves his wife loves his kids but he also loves the craft that he practices um you can find mr gmb komichak hopefully i'm pronouncing that correctly uh online uh just the initials gmb komichak and um and you'll find him his work is on amazon his work is in bookstores Particularly good bookstores like McNally Robinson, you'll find his work there. And he's also uh, well connected with other uh, artists and writers in the scene, not just in Winnipeg, but in Canada and the U.S. Um, Under his belt, he's also done some work for Baby Metal, Heavy Metal Magazine, I think, I believe. Um, And he's worked with um, some veterans, industry veterans, and he's always working on stuff and uh, if you really want to get to know Greg uh, if you really want to perk his ear up just mention Rom the Space Knight as we allude to at the end of the episode thanks for listening Um, peace out we'll see you after the intro song A nice room to record in.
2: Yeah, library time.
1: Ah, oh, love it. it. Looks like you got some old stuff in there too.
2: Oh yeah, so much, so much. Oh, look at that chair. Is that your <laughs> reading chair? Yeah, it's a little reading chair over here. I oh, love me. it. Yeah, yeah. It extends around there, but my camera's on a fixed angle. Yeah, I've got, uh, I don't know, I'm uh, entombed in about eight thousand books right here.
1: Wow. <laughs> oh. How many on the go at a time?
2: Uh oh a few dozen usually. Yeah. A dozen, yeah. Well that's the beauty of nonfiction stuff, right? Is you can just sip it.
1: Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah, I just uh oh, oh I see an omnibus down there. The oh,
2: that's lots, yeah. Oh Like yeah. as long as your background scanning, then we got all kinds of stuff in there.
1: Oh the oh the ultimate omnibus, yeah, nice. Yeah, they got
2: both of those. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh Warren Ellis turned out to be a horrible person
1: well i didn't catch that at all
2: yeah, no the. Uh, i was going to talk about brian hitch and then i was going to bring up the authority which is uh uh i guess mark miller still so far passes the sniff test but uh warren ellis not so much
1: wow i didn't uh oh fuck damn it <laughs> yeah. I, like, I like warren ellis as a writer i know
2: his work you know it's one of those it's like a polanski thing you know like the work is undeniably good the man is undeniably bad damn it right? Oh,
1: isn't there any good people left
2: in the world? I don't know. Maybe we're talking to them right now. Maybe uh, it's just us. Maybe I we're hope. all that's left. I hope. But not. isn't that what a bad person would say? God damn it. <laughs> God damn it. We're
1: all bad people. Really? We just fucked right? up. Uh, yeah. Well, so. thanks
2: for having me. How do you do this? You're, uh, uh, we're going to do an intro or are we on? Did I just join uh, the meeting uh, already in progress?
1: I'm going to do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We're just. I, today i feel like we're starting it like we already started it so so i'm gonna in, i'm gonna intro this this thing here so this is the uh, sean geek and fast fret podcast with me sean geek and that guy over there Fast fret that's uh, my brother uh we're both musicians we're both nerds we're both just talking about nothing every episode pretty much we just natter and natter and natter
2: So, I mean, the real question I have is, uh, while I'm in your, you know, like, when I travel, remember those days when you could travel? When you travel to other countries that have other uh, cultures involved, you try to observe the cultural norms of those places, you know, when at home, as the expression goes. So I should refer to you by your full podcast names here, like Sean Geek and Fast Fret. Like, no, uh, you know, no space. Like, if I want to refer to you. Oh, if you do. Like, 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 being a lord, like, I have to say, (laughs) say uh, you know like the proper title before speaking no no (laughs) there's
1: no pomp and circumstance here are you sure because there
2: is a you know when we're talking about pomp and circumstance you have a full-sized captain america shield drum set what am i looking at?
1: no 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 that is a drum set but um that's the uh, the shield my kids somehow think i'm captain america because i got dressed up as captain america a couple years in a row and they're big uh comic uh nerds which is awesome and uh they're like dad can you just have his captain america again
2: okay <laughs> that's so funny you got a no captain canuck outfit though in there or oh, a vindicator oh. at the very least like if you can't you could see me and raise me a vindicator
1: oh i would kill for a vindicator outfit i uh, i have the uh, the marvel legends vindicator on the wall there I, i'm a huge alpha flight fan
2: yeah <laughs> whatever you know I keep hoping, beyond hope, perhaps. But if the, you know, if we're going to talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, if they're folding in the X Men again, Mm -hmm. then Alpha Flight exists somewhere there. Yes, they do. Right. So I just want a Department H. You know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, I'm all. I'm all Alpha Flight. I. I've actually. um, I think. There's a, there's an omnibus for Alpha Flight. Like I have the individual collected uh, editions and the entire comic run <laughs> as well. Yeah, I've
2: got those two. I've got the John Byrne uh, universe uh, omnibus here. I actually just Oh, you did get it? Is it yet. good? It's good, yeah. Well, if you're a John Byrne fan, uh-huh. another interesting figure in comic book land, but yeah, his work it's... is undeniably good.
1: He's on the edge of uh, his uh, holy shit moment of getting canceled probably, I'm assuming.
2: You know what I wonder? I think he was a good boy, more or less. I think he's just old and angry. Mm-hmm, mm. Right. Which is like a whole different category of yeah. like upstart.
1: He's just a general asshole.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. And I don't even know if that's true. Well, yeah, I don't know. I shouldn't speak ill. I don't no. know him directly. Mr. Burn, if you're listening, I'd love to talk it over with
1: yeah, you. Yeah, we have an opening next week if you want to come I on I have
2: all my uh next men's right here. By, oh, you did the nearby. next two. Yeah
1: those are good that was a later discovery for this discovery for me and i'm like this this is good I, I don't know i really liked it actually the reason i started drawing comic books was because john Byrne. that was like uh the first comic i got was uh john Byrne doing marvel team up and it was a spider-man captain britain uh two-parter well oh, that that's
2: when it. captain britain still had the blue and the like gold lion on his chest yep. yeah oh yeah
1: yep oh yeah my uh, my captain Britain omnibus is ordered and on route for uh, March.
2: Yeah, it's funny how they've weaponized nostalgia. They're like, remember all those old comics? You can have them as one giant three hundred dollar huge edition. Yeah, doesn't that seem like a good idea? The kid version of us is like, no, that's a bad idea. But oh. adult money now, damn it!
1: I fall for it. Yeah, I uh, fall for it. it too. I've got my. Whatever. There's a bunch here. This is only some of my collection.
2: If you want to expand your uh, your Topi T-O-P-P-I Topi. Yeah. Buy a Topi collection and a whole new world of comics will open for you. I promise. Topi. Topi. Yeah. Topi. What's Topi? Topi. Here. Well, as long as we're, as long as we're being nerds.
1: Todd, you're in deep here now.
2: Yeah, we <laughs> right. This camera because I also teach comics through this camera turns around so i can show you the toby collection look at this pen and ink renderings cool just the some of the most effortless world building and storytelling you will ever find
1: who's the artist here is or is it a bunch of different ones
2: yeah no it's toby Toby. the artist yeah Yeah. Who, who
1: is this guy like how do i not know who this is
2: so you know who barry windsor smith is obviously oh
1: yeah Oh, yeah, right, yeah,
2: yeah. and yeah. Uh, you should track down his monsters collection. It's that that new book. Uh, I shouldn't say collection because it's like a just a finished like 400 page volume of pure Barry Windsor Smith gold. Oh. Uh, but when you look at uh, like the works of say um, Barry Windsor Smith, or you look at Sankovic, maybe of, yeah, Bill Sankovic for sure. Right, they're all referencing Topi. The magic that you uh. see in it is them trying to capture the magic of this incredible illustrator who I'm only in the just last uh, like two years discovered and I'm just feel so uh, it's like uncovering a religious text yes right oh, where, yeah, you yeah. Like, where it's like oh that there, there's what they've been worshiping at all this time and you can see you know what's going on in there um, nobody even comes close what's amazing is you know uh bill as great as he is in his own words he wrote one of the intros of one of these books and he's like you know i've been chasing topi my whole life i've never even gotten close but it did give me a career you know so oh man
1: okay i'm checking that out
2: yeah for sure
1: i went uh, really far down the island davis um a rabbit hole a long time ago
2: pretty good place man. to be yeah
1: pretty good I've, place to be. I've got some stuff i shouldn't have my hands on <laughs> unreleased stuff and and whatever like he's he's like he's you
2: broke into one. his house what are you saying
1: uh no but maybe <laughs> no no i just i found some stuff online that i was able to order through some like uk bookstores and stuff that i just this it was never printed here and that kind of stuff some db and Quinch.
2: And oh yeah awesome i love stuff, db yeah yeah the quench stuff all that uh all that stuff from the warhammer runs yeah that's, mm-hmm.
1: that's awesome. Yeah, yeah marvel uk is probably my favorite thing of all time
2: yeah
1: yeah for sure
2: well, and that actually connects back to our original Warren Ellis discussion where I uh, miss where Brian Hitch, because Brian Hitch sort of was a Alan Davis devotee. Oh, yeah, for sure. he, he started was. And then became his whole other thing. Right. But it's like, well, that's what we're missing in comics these days is that apprentice model where people are sort of at the elbow of a person who has done it as a career and are learning all the tricks uh, from someone who's you know failed more than them we kind of all have to make it up ourselves these days and kind of sucks
1: that is true isn't it yeah like like mark bagley was like you know he was he was joined at the hip with with um oh my god
2: (laughs) i'm forgetting names it's allowed it's allowed it goes deep goes deep um but yeah i mean that's one of the things that we're doing at our studio is trying to kind of uh, unofficially bring back that mentorship that apprenticeship kind of vibe we do a lot of um you know we work with red river and we get students in and we whenever we can we try to uh let everyone see that if a couple of yahoos like justin and i can do it at the studio probably anybody can
1: yep right? so you you've set this is the bar
2: yeah the bar is not that high here it is um And what's amazing about it is that you start to realize when you're teaching um, younger, much more talented and hardworking people than you, you know, like they come in, the only thing separating you and them is you've made more mistakes and didn't let them crush you. Yeah, really. Right. And so we're trying to hand that playbook off as often as we can. Like, here's our printers. Here's our things. Here you, how you calculate your price per unit. Oh, here's a contract. don't get screwed. Here's a whatever. So we really hope that, uh, at the very least people who come through and spend some time with us will, um, make fewer mistakes on purpose Yeah. than we did.
1: That's good. That's, that's, uh, that's why I like you because you do stuff like that. You actually go, go to the people. I, I, I picked a couple of lessons off you, not art lessons, but life lessons, which, you know, which I still apply. No, stop. No, well, no, no. True. Like work work ethic and, and stuff like that. Like um, it, there, there's some people that say, well, you can't, well, I can't create, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in the mood or, and I'm like, no, no, you, you can make the mood. Like I can sit down, like I get up at six in the morning, my regimen in the morning is I work out. And then right after the workout, I go straight to creating. That's that's what I do, whether it's the podcast or, or my own writing or, or, or whatever. And that's, but once the, the clock turns a certain time, then I just go.
2: I just go. Yeah, just start. Movement yeah. gives shape to form, as they say. That's well, man, that was Da Vinci. I stole that straight from him. So it sounds wise because someone much wiser than me said it. But I find it true. Once you start right? The shape you take is determined by the velocity that you start to pick up. It's true.
1: Absolutely. Like, um, like I, I we go back to this in the show a lot of times, like, uh, Todd and I had the, our band dome, which was, which was one of those things where we just gained momentum by just doing the thing that we were doing, which was the goal was, okay, let's start a band. We're going to play a particular type of music. We are going to do what other bands in the city don't do. We're going to release a full length CD because people don't do full length anymore. They do EPs or, and you know what, we're going to record it all ourselves. Okay. Yeah. We're going to do that. We're going to have no outside writers, no outside anyone. We did everything, just the four of us and did it. And we did it. We did everything that we did in that band was within a three year period. Cause we put the work in. Yeah. And it wasn't, well, we're not creative. No, we just did it.
2: Yeah. So much of it is ditch digging, you know? Mm -hmm. so much of it is ditch digging you just gotta you know dig the hole and keep going and eventually it carries water it does (laughs)
1: true enough so i don't know do we want to go so we've known each other kind of in the same circles
2: yeah tangentially for a long time a
1: really long time yeah you know what was my introduction to mr Chomjak?
2: do do i know no it is like a test (laughs) <laughs> um, um, i do know that a like manga comic that you had self-produced okay with another artist was the first time i brought something I, I don't know what show it was at or where we were but i like had brought stuff home from the show i put some stuff up my wife read it and uh she was like hey this is pretty well written is this a local guy And I can remember, like, my wife almost never comments on my work.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Same with mine. Same with mine.
2: So the fact that it, like, kind of rose up out of the ether and, you know, it caught her attention and she read through it, and, you know, it's not really her wheelhouse at all. It's one of the reasons I love about her is that we are, you know, we have some areas where, uh, our interests overlap but we have very different worlds that we uh, live in and so it keeps things fresh but uh you know and then i can remember being like oh well then you know here's a name to remember so
1: wow i didn't know that so so actually my connection then so you don't even so this is interesting so i just learned something new today so the connection was you worked on something i think it was called the dark
2: the dark that's right you remember that yeah oh yeah so um I'll never forget it. It was a wild experience, and it's—I've uh, made yeah. some lifelong friends there, and uh, sure. probably a few lifelong enemies too.
1: <laughs> there, so I uh, Ward Masner, who was in the dark, one of oh, the yeah Ward, yeah Ward's a, a, a great buddy of mine. We actually did a film together. Uh, he was producer and uh, actor and hmm. kind of director, I guess, a little bit of a director on a film that I worked that I was on, and we met there, and I fell in love with him right there like this is a a beautiful man just a beautiful man and i i don't mean like he just he, yeah yeah he kept he grab that a toss. together we all were like ward's the man ward is like there's no one better than ward so um when he got involved in the dark which was after our production i believe i'm like okay i don't care what it is ward's in it good enough for me and then i heard that you were doing kind of art direction on it and i'm like who's this guy so then I was like, hmm, kind of paying attention. So that was my introduction. And in fact, you probably don't have this, but I do have the first two episodes on this computer right here.
2: Wow! yeah, I definitely don't have it. That's amazing. You're going to have to send those to me. Later. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that was one of those things where. Well, do you want uh, to explain
1: it to Todd? Because this, the dark was, no one had ever done anything like this before at the time. And, and really at the time, it was incredibly mind-blowing.
2: So ahead of its time. So Steven Erickson and, um, oh, I'm forgetting some of the names now that were all involved in it. Uh, David Keck, uh, they had written, so the, the bottom line goes like this, before phones had screens. Yes, and now yes. we take for granted that you can watch and stream shows on your digital devices I don't remember what Uh, year
1: was this. Do you remember? I'm
2: trying to remember now. I'd have to do some Googling, but Chris Prosny was the uh, producer. Yes. And he knew uh, Steven. And I don't know the complete story of how things got launched. All I know is the point that I came in is they were trying to produce a direct to the web episodic television science fiction series. Like that was a little bit like like alien meets does boat kind of yeah. vibe yeah. and man, it was so ambitious and it was like fiercely indie. And I, my friend Erica was um, one of the cast members. And it was right around the time that I was like, ah, I'm going to be super serious about making comics from now on. This is what I do. Yeah, so, I that was, wait,
1: so at that period, that's when you, because you were still teaching, right? And you just uh, said, I'm doing it. I'm taking a serious pitch at being a
2: comic dude. No, like, I wasn't I, even teaching yet. I was, uh, how did that all work? I can remember leaving set. So I was in teachers college then. So I was working. Um, I would go to school during the day. I would take my cur- my practicum courses. And then we would be on set all night. So we would usually shoot till like 4 a.m. And then I would get up at like 7 and then go to school and do school all day. And then get back onto set. And then we would oh God, yeah, you know, and yep. <laughs> just round and round and round we went. Um, and kind of how the gig turned out is uh erica said you know i'm working on this crazy thing Stephen is you know he's the real deal like anyone who looks up Stephen erickson will see a long list of bona fides as a writer uh he was writing one of the malazan books of the fallen at baritalia at that time (laughs) Yeah, yeah sure and i didn't know that i didn't know who he was i just knew that when i went to write there was this other guy writing there all day. Also.
1: Wait, 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 wait. You you were writing at Bar Italia
2: too? So I would go there and write. He would go there <laughs> and write. And she one I day said, right, you guys shouldn't, you should meet. This is many years ago now. You guys <laughs> should meet. And Stephen was really gracious because, you know, clearly he's on a deadline. He has a serious book. He is at that point already a very. Um, yeah, he would have been prolific, I think, at that time, right? Yeah, he's already a force to be reckoned with in the uh, fantasy world. Uh, And he was so patient with what were essentially asinine questions from a complete novice um, that I just, he ingratiated himself to me just in that he listened to my questions and he gave the most cogent answers and the most honest answers that I had heard yet from anyone who was in the writing profession. Right. Um, So uh, make a long story medium. Anyway, uh, I sent a bunch of my A bunch of pages. I got a hold of the series Bible. They had written this really extensive, really cool series Bible, which I still have a copy of somewhere. Um, And it's, it's, man, I wish they would. This is a thing they should pitch now. I honestly Uh,
1: think, yeah conception Uh, so i looked
2: at the series bible and i was hanging out at erica's place and and i just started drawing and like working up concepts and i just treated it as if it was a script to a comic and then i sent a bunch of those pages off to the producer and said uh uh you know what would help sell your show would be having a comic produced for it now this is of course remember i have no actual skills at this point i'm just Have this idea that maybe I should do this.
1: You're you're still a rookie to the business at this point.
2: Yeah, like I'm I'm earnest, right? And I recognize now in hindsight that uh, when you're young, of course, you have so much, you have so much more ambition and drive than you have skill, and that's where success sometimes happens, is in spite of you. Yes. Right. This is one of those moments where. In spite of the fact that I was really uniquely unqualified for the task, they said, these drawings are pretty good. Why don't you come and do some set design drawings for us? Come meet the crew. Maybe you could do some uh, set development. And I was like, I can totally do that. And then I immediately looked up like, hmm, what does a set designer? (laughs) I will 100% do that. (laughs) I'll do it. It was, it, <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was such an independent production that like we were able to be more candid once you got there. Like, you know, I can figure this out. Sure. Um, and then I drew up a whole bunch of sort of my favorite moment. There was a bunch of favorite moments filming the dark. Cause like I said, I made some long time uh, to this day, dear friends, uh, but drawing something as a concept, leaving for a few days and returning And that drawing has been turned now into a set and then sitting on that set and drawing the same drawing, but not from your mind, but from life. (laughs) Surreal was, uh, like a moment where I was like, this is a job I want. I want this experience more often, as often as I can get this experience. Um, and so for all it's, you know, trials and tribulations, and there were many and I won't belabor them, uh, it wasn't a, just a wild experience of creative people just doing their goddamn best to make a thing happen when no one understood what we were trying and no investor that you talked to when you said like, it'll be essentially a streaming show. They're like, fuck off and get out of here. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. like, right. It's all we do now.
1: Tw- yeah. Like 15, 20 years later, it's, right? it, it's like, Oh yeah. For Kurt. Yeah, of course.
2: Yeah. they were way know? ahead of their time. And, um, I inadvertently found myself in a role of being like a translator for different groups, frustrations. (laughs) There were kind of like camps that developed in the development of that show. And I ended up being the common point. Like I would sit in producer meetings. I would sit in editing meetings. I would sit in um, special effects meetings. I would sit in uh, the writing. stuff, And so I kind of became the like, unfortunate voice of reason where i knew what everyone was capable of doing because i was part of each of those teams and i'd be like okay no we can't do that you just like you don't have the budget and we don't have the time or we don't have the talent and then having to mitigate everybody's expectations of what it you know if only people would understand it could have been something but we could only deal with reality which is what we were playing with so it was also a really important experience for me in the role of um being a product kind of like a i don't know what we call it like a production manager sure yeah but also in my own life being able to be in the room and and de-escalate angry contract negotiations i cut my teeth on it in a real real serious way because people were offered points at the back end of all of these projects oh so it went that far Right. And so the idea was as it started to pick up momentum, that those might be actually worth something. And of course, when things might be worth something, that's when arguments happen. Oh, so it's, easy. it's easy to promise dreams, it's harder to, you know, pass out the gold coins.
1: Oh, this is like. I don't know if I'm having PTSD or <laughs> the movie that I was on before that, which with with Corey Taves and Ward Masner and Clayton Stewart and all that, that was a Star Wars fan. Oh,
2: Clayton! Oh, the fan! That's right. You worked on that fan.
1: Yeah, I, that's right. I had 13 roles in the film.
2: That's right.
1: <laughs> yep. And oh my God, was that a f- that was the, the the production got sued more than once we had the lucas lawyers contact us
2: which you know in and of itself is kind of awesome
1: oh that was cool like we uh, i think clayton saved the letter but i mean that was a production where you had certain factions being built within you had the the the, the effects people going clayton's vision is is bad so we're going to do this instead so they would purposely work against The director and then certain acting there'd be certain acting factions because it was a it was a it was a crew of 70 right so it was it was huge like it was pretty big so it was a
2: big production that's what i remember the most is hearing the rumblings of this this (laughs) ill-fated star destroyer right (laughs) flying a little too close to the sun and uh yeah
1: you know what it it did lead to good stuff because the the makeup guy Corey. uh, he's he's our third or fourth on this show he's on here all the time and he's an amazing artist like he's a he is he is my favorite artist he is phenomenal he's like really 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 good and uh so i you know got a friendship out of that but i also got a writing gig right after that on a movie called hurt and uh I went in and the director said, Hey, I wrote a script for a movie. I need somebody to take a look at it. And his script was two paragraphs. Oh no. <laughs> so I turned it into a full script,
2: a script They call that. I yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> and then we filmed the whole film and we did everything. And I ended up taking on more roles because I was kind of like you, like the actors don't know what they're supposed to do. You're the director. You're supposed to tell them what, you know, how you're supposed to feel. You're supposed to, He says, I don't know how to do any of that. Can you just go talk to those guys?
2: And you know, I can say that the thing I wanted the most from everyone, and I think what motivated me, I'm just, I haven't actually honestly thought about this probably a decade, but as upon reflection, I realized that what I was most after is that everyone around me would be having as much fun as I was. Yeah. And so whenever I saw that people weren't having fun, I was like, how can you not be having fun? It's the middle of the night. We're on a film set. There's special effects. There's goo. We're <laughs> there's on a goo. spaceship. <laughs> uh, you know, we actually this, built sets. And we, we get build, to play in it. Right. This is amazing. I'm and so anyone who, here. <laughs> anyone who was having a bad time, I kind of felt like my role, you know, like Neelix on Voyager. Yeah. How he just kind of shows up on the ship and he doesn't really have a role. So they're like, ah, why don't you be in charge of keeping people happy? Right. I felt like I assigned myself that role <laughs> on the on the dark, uh, on the recluse was the name of the ship. Great yeah, name right. for a ship. Um, and every time someone was kind of having a shitty time or like a shitty moment, or they were stressed about, like, you know, are we gonna have the budget or you know, do I know my lines or whatever? I would just kind of make myself available to them to like dish a little bit about how they felt Yep. fire them up about how excited i was to be there try to be as contagious as possible and just kind of you know you got to work all night yeah so you can either work all night in a bad mood which makes it hell on earth or you can work all night in a good mood so then at least you know, yes, you're tired. And yes, you wish you had slept, but at least you're in a good mood when you walked out when the sun was coming up. So that's I me. Mean. And as a result, I ended up working as a uh, art director, developing another feature film that the production company, uh, not the uh, uh, not uh, prosny and Erickson, but absurd machine films, who was the production company that was helping them get oh, that off. Yeah, the ground,
1: that's right. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. So we did a pitch for a really awesome horror movie that never got made, but I got to do tons of storyboards and tons of stuff and development for a thing called Muteir, right down to a pitch meeting where we brought in a bunch of millionaires and said like, "Hey, <laughs> this is the movie we're gonna make. Uh, do you want to pay for it?" <laughs> uh, it turns out in retrospect that showing accountants uh, storyboards and production design materials for a horror movie, is not a good way to get them to invest in your film (laughs) yeah as you can probably imagine but you know we were young and hungry uh and uh then after that uh they produced another film called agrisomnia which i was the art director on and then the cinematographer from that film went on to uh create another company called electric monk media and they've produced two short films that i wrote so it's uh It's been a long-running relationship that came out of a whole bunch of us just wanting in earnest to just work on science fiction in a serious way.
1: Oh, wow. That's a lot of background that I didn't know. That's pretty cool. You probably haven't talked about this in, like, forever.
2: Yeah, not in forever. Not in forever. And, uh, um, yeah, it's wild. Well, you never know when, when. You know, it's interesting. The funny thing about podcasts is that, uh, and even, you know, I'm the host of Super Pulp Science. And so I've learned this over a couple hundred episodes. If you don't have an agenda, the conversation actually goes usually in a more interesting place than when you have talking points.
1: Absolutely. Right. That's how uh, we roll. That's how we roll. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it doesn't like the homework,
0: right? So, oh, yeah, I hate homework.
2: Yeah, homework. Yeah, we, we don't just, like homework so much, too. I had to do so much homework when I did the baby metal uh, graphic novel press. Junkity stuff. Uh, And I found myself just constantly repeating the same five things. And I was like, will anyone, anyone, please ask me a question that I haven't answered already. Like, because you just become a robot at a certain point. And then you feel like you're a liar because you're pretending to be interested in their question, but you already, as soon as they're saying it, you know what they're going to ask and you know what your answer is. And you know, everyone who's ever been involved in any kind of media training knows that that's actually the right way to do it, But still it's tedious. Oh yeah. I prefer this. I didn't know we were going to talk about the dark, but I'm glad we did.
1: (laughs) Yeah. We, we do whatever we want here. We're like, you know what? I I don't care. Let's just have a conversation. The whole, the whole premise of this show was back home where we're from, which is New Brunswick, you know, you'd have these gatherings in a kitchen and just talk and then eventually people would pull out instruments or just start playing. Were you playing a particular song? No, you just start playing and then other people join in and you go. And the conversations were exactly the same as that. It's just, let's just start off and see where we go. Because I think society as a whole has forgotten the art of conversation.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think so. Nuance has been lost a little bit, but I mean, clearly not. We're, we're here. We are yeah. having a conversation about how conversations has been lost. So that can't be true. I think. <laughs> we're just not as comfortable with the safety of strangers as maybe we want. Sure. Sure. But I mean, I like this podcast
1: format, like Todd and I started doing video podcast, like, like, because I couldn't go to his house. So like, okay, well, how are we going to do this? So now
2: you can see his face,
1: but now I can see his face, you know, and we were able to still keep a connection. (laughs) You know, I love this guy, like, you know, I'm close to this guy, like, and I get to see him every
2: week. I feel a little bit like the third wheel that's monopolized the conversation, though. Because uh, let us hear from the third here.
0: Well, <laughs> join us.
2: Join us.
0: I'm listening. I'm, I'm good. I'm uh, when there's three of us, we like to to get the the guest. I mean, the guest is the person that we want to talk to. So we want to, we want to hear about you.
2: <laughs> I've invited you here into my library space. Oh, okay. Maybe I want to hear about you. <laughs>
0: Tell Are me you a story. No. Tell
1: your story. <laughs> so so, Todd, so Todd, Todd's a geek too. He's he's more uh, video games. Uh, he's got a thing about hockey.
0: Uh, well,
2: you know, everyone has, you know, everyone I has d- I never had
0: <laughs> I never had hockey before uh, I met my girlfriend. Although when the Jets came back,
2: oh love did it. That's uh,
0: okay. when the Jets came back, I watched it for about a year. And a half and then kind of lost interest with it and then um, my girlfriend uh, actually when I first met her um, we had to kind of reschedule because the game was going to be on <laughs> so we just ended up I just ended up coming over and watching the game with her so
2: you know in a way I never realized uh, I never considered hockey to be a good like silver bullet in the early forms of relation because I find it like incredibly boring but if you were sitting for hours kind of bored you probably spend more time and attention on the person you were there with anyway so this might you know Mm -hmm. this was the right choice yeah well
0: i mean i wasn't really watching hockey at the time
1: so you probably were not watching hockey that night either you're probably watching her pretty
0: much (laughs) pretty (laughs) much (laughs) Who's who's this lady but uh but yeah after a while it grows on you and uh And that's, that's our thing. We watch, that's what we do. We watch the hockey game together. And, but the weird thing is, is when we, you know, if if they score, if something happens, someone gets hurt, it's kind of funny, because if you were the third person watching us, you would swear sometimes we're the same person because (laughs) we'll react exactly the same and say the exact same thing at the exact same time. And then we look at each other and it happens multiple times a day.
2: Your mirror neurons are linked up and you're just right there together.
0: Yeah, well you think the universe is, you know, if you um say you're going from point A to point B and you stop somewhere in between. You figure okay, well you've broken the link, okay? So whatever was going to happen at that time, okay, is now not going to happen. But the thing is with both of us, you would think there's there's uh there's a connection that kind of supersedes that. It it's it's a uh, it's like, it doesn't matter what happens in what order or what happens, you know, here or there when we're together, it just kind of clicks. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the outside, uh, kind of happens. It's almost like when, when they say there's uh, it, it's fate or there's, um, your, your, I don't know what they call it. Your, your life's kind of planned out for you, but it doesn't matter what happens. There's more to it than that. There, there's something else that's, that's creating the connection.
2: What is this uh, it's magical like a different woman's dimension. name who defies causality? What is her name? We should Donda. name her Donda. Donda. Yeah. She. This sounds like a love story. Like. Oh, it is. There are there well, poems that you've written. Are there songs? I see a guitar <laughs> on the wall. Like.
0: Well, if you look at my web page, uh, my Facebook page, I, I wrote her. Uh, she was her birthday yesterday. <laughs> yeah.
1: Marvelous. You wrote some pretty
0: nice uh, that, and uh, I I made, her, I made her a card and uh bought her some flowers and
2: yeah i feel so similar my wife and i've been together for 22 years and every day i am just consider myself a lucky man to wake up next to her Mm -hmm. so right there with you yeah that's good so we're all
0: we're
1: all uh love love struck idiots
0: yeah Yeah, sean's all over that stuff he sees people that are happy together he just just oozes
1: Uh, i just (laughs) you know what i see two people like holding hands or sharing a glance like you know it's like a real love glance versus like a a lust glance because you know when people initially date it's you know it's like lust right but then you see those people it's 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 that other level that nut that that next planar level of, of of attachment to someone else and whenever i see that i just go Oh. oh,
2: I'm very similar. Yeah, I'm yeah, saying I love seeing it.
0: Say, like watching the Notebook, but in real life. <laughs> like
2: in yeah. real life. Like in re- Well, I I hope not quite like all of the Notebook.
0: Well, no, not not all of them. <laughs> no, no.
2: But, um,
1: like like when I proposed to my wife, like just to show how how close we are. Like I used, I used the um, the tenth book or the tenth trade paperback printing. Of uh, the Walking Dead, <laughs> so and the tenth one was delayed. I don't know if you recall or not, but the tenth one was delayed, and we were both reading it. And that was sort of I was bringing her into comic books when we met. She's like, "What's this stuff? Like, this stuff is so cool!" And she was introducing me to other things that I wasn't familiar with. So we were kind of like discovering all these things. So that was the one we read together, and it was always a fight as who was going to read it first. And the tenth got delayed. The tenth trade got delayed, and. But it wasn't really delayed. I had bought it already from Comet yeah. Factory Four. I had bought it already and told and lied to her and told what her. It was delayed.
2: Oh, the foundations <laughs> of all good love stories. A lie. <laughs> lie. <laughs> lie.
1: I was waiting for a ring to come in, uh-huh. and I didn't have it right away. So I was like, I was. I kept delaying, and I was. I was talking. I was talking to our dad, and I was like. Okay, Dad, how am I how am I gonna do this? Like I was like kind of plotting with him a little bit, like how do I do this, and you know, getting some advice and that sort of stuff. And I'm like, so when I finally get, I I said Sylvie, look at this, and it was like I held it up, Walking Dead, number ten. She's like, oh shit, oh shit. So I give it to her. She opens it. The ring falls out. She looks at the book. She looks at the ring. She looks at the book. She's trying to figure out which one she's more excited for. And then I'm like, (laughs) well. you would you marry me and she's like yes so she held on to that book until the wedding day and did not read it until <laughs> before the ceremony
2: oh my god does kirkman know this story you gotta, uh, you gotta <laughs> kirkman needs to hear this story yeah. oh my gosh
1: So that was our and like like you know like at night we play we play fallout together that's kind of our thing right now because i don't know post-apocalyptic i kind of have a thing for yeah, I think, in one, I, think so. you, I think you like it a little bit post-apocalyptic. I'm not sure. I think you might <laughs> not be keen on post-apocalyptic.
2: Oh, I'm down. <laughs> Have you
1: played Fallout?
2: Uh, I played some Fallout, yeah. But I also, uh, you know, I'm writing... Uh, my new novel is 100% post-apocalypse, my uh last novel was that was a uh, segue,
1: by the way. That's how yeah, you do it in yeah,
2: the well <laughs> uh yeah, the automatic age, which is a story of a father and son navigating in a you know what should be the perfect world. It's called the automatic age because it's set in like that 50s future, like in the 1950s, they promised us a certain kind of future, yes, right, where everything would be done for us, the whole world would be automatic. And so I wrote a novel set in that world where um one day with no explanation to the main characters, a group of um, you know androids, these autovolts come and they just kill everyone one at a time. They just go door to door and they just murder everyone. And the only people who survive sort of this purge are the people who also have some sort of uh, prosthetic device so that they're sort of, it's like Passover. They're missed yeah. as being fully human. And so they're able to sort of survive that first wave. And so now they live in a world that is empty, a desert, a paradise where no people can touch anything or turn anything on or the robots will know they're there and come get them. And so um, instead of like The Walking Dead, where the world is all like ruined, this is a world where everything is perfect and constantly being repaired and cleaned up after and everything's automatic. And and if they steal from a vending machine, though, or they order, you know food in an automatic restaurant well sure enough uh, one of these audibles will come walking through the door to chop them apart with a hatchet so it's a uh it was a really fun story to write pretty fast-paced and the new one is uh coming out in uh march actually come to think of it march 5th i think is the new one out
1: so like what was the motivation to switch from picture to words like all uh, words. Cause I mean, it's not all words. I think there's, there's illustrations in there as well, but like,
2: yeah, there's what, about what 30% the, was, of it is illustrated.
1: So what was, uh, the, what was the shift there? What was, what was going on inside your head?
2: Uh, you know what? I always work on a couple of different kinds of projects at the same time. So I always have a prose project on the go. I always have a, so for the dear listeners who don't, you know, know who the hell I am. My name is uh, Greg. Oh, yeah, we didn't Jeffrey.
1: even introduce you. Yet. And
2: uh, I write awesome. and illustrate graphic novels. Uh, mostly. Uh, and I make stories with words and pictures. And sometimes it's mostly words. And sometimes it's mostly pictures. And sometimes it's moving pictures these days, which is kind of fun. Um, but what had happened was I had uh, automatic age finish sort of in the can. I was shopping it around a little bit. And then um, <laughs> this is amazing. Come to think of it. Mel who uh, runs Great Plains, was in the dark. She was on set there and ended up being in Agrisomnia with us. And she was around with that entire production. And so one day I was like, hey, wait, Mel runs a publisher. I should go and pitch this book. (laughs) Yep. Right there. And it still had to go through their editorial and all the rest, but uh, she was sort of, they've been looking to try um, at Great Plains. They have this yellow dog imprint. They've been trying some uh, more genre stuff and a little more experimental stuff. And, and I worked out a deal with them where this is just before the event, as we'll call it, the pandemic occurred. Yes. Uh, I had planned 30 different events to promote the book all over Canada and the US. I had, it was going to probably be the book I pushed the most ever. And now it has become the book I've pushed the least ever. Uh, because every event we had to cancel, every, you know, it was just, it was yeah. wild. But it was my first. First uh, prose work out from a legitimate publisher that, you know, I was really proud of and I was just going to pour all my energy behind it.